Hello, and welcome to The Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation Turo-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Faculty Chronicles. I'm Elizabeth Uni, your host, chair, and associate professor at the Turo College of Pharmacy in New York. Our guest for the day is Dr. Perella Perstein, assistant professor of psychology at the Lander College for Women. She's also a psychologist and has a clinical practice in Brooklyn. After completing her bachelor's at the Turo, she received her master's and PhD in psychology from the Hofstra University. She has also authored a book titled, Secrets of Great Teachers, 22 Strategies to Energize Middle and High School Classrooms. Dr. Polstein is a recipient of 2020 Presidential Award for Excellence in Teaching. According to Dr. Polstein, she always wanted to teach. She wanted to bring her clinic experiences to classroom so that students can connect. Her commitment to teaching and students is based on three elements. Be genuine, be empathic, and have positive regard for students. Welcome, Dr. Polstein, to the show, and so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. Congratulations on the award that you received. That's such a big honor. Yeah, thank you so much. So, uh, Perella, I understand that for you, teaching is quite intertwined with your research and clinical practice. To start, tell us a little bit about your research and clinical practice so that the listeners can get a better idea about you. Sure. Uh, so, well, let me start with my clinical practice first. Um, so, I have a clinical practice in Brooklyn, um, and I mainly specialize in treating anxiety disorders and impulse control disorders like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I've moved into treatment of personality disorders as well, mainly uh, people struggling with borderline personality disorders. And I've, in the last couple of years, I've also added an element of supervision to my practice where I also uh, supervise clinicians mainly in the modality of cognitive behavior therapy and dialectical behavior therapy. Um, so currently, I guess you could say that I divide my time uh, between my clinical practice and what I love to do, which is I love to do that as well, but teaching. Um, and so the supervision I found really uh, was, the, was the bridge between clinical practice and teaching because you're pretty much teaching clinicians in the applied science of psychology. So tell us a little bit about the cognitive behavioral therapy. What is that? CBT uh, is designed to help people who struggle with faulty cognitions. So if you've got distorted thoughts um, and um, so 
so basically all of us are born um, with biology and this biology sort of interconnects with our social environment and our the that connection produces what we call core beliefs you know beliefs about ourselves about the world um, and it helps us define how we relate to the world uh, so for instance if somewhere along the line you receive the message that you are good as long as in other words if you are given this impression of conditions of worth right um, then you might have the core belief that I am good or acceptable as long as I fulfill certain requirements, right? And those core beliefs, and they're embedded pretty deeply, but those core beliefs can manifest in unhealthy, maladaptive ways to produce automatic thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, so in a situation where you're, say, for instance, confronted with something that you don't like, Let's say, for instance, um, I don't know, you received a bad grade on an exam, right? We see this with students all the time. Mm -hmm. They have conditions of worth that they have to be good at everything or that they're, they're a worthwhile human being as long as they excel at what they, at what they choose to do. Then that bad grade is not only upsetting because it's a bad grade that might impact their ability to get into graduate school, but it's also impacted by the unfortunate in their mind subjective reality that this means that they're not a successful person and that they or that they're not acceptable in some way and so what mm. cbt tries to do is to sort of help people identify their automatic thoughts which usually come from these deep-rooted core beliefs um, and these thoughts really do sort of stand in the way of your quality of life um, and they're largely arbitrary in the sense that they're not they're not real we just believe them to be real um, and so that's the first aspect of it and then the behavioral aspect is that very often we engage in these maladaptive behaviors you know how many times we keep doing the thing that we say we're not going to do right um, and so part of um, cbt looks at learning theory um, which would really comes down to Pavlov and, and Skinner, right? So everything comes down to classical conditioning and operant conditioning and try and figure out what are the conditions, the environmental contingencies that are maintaining or reinforcing those maladaptive behaviors, the behaviors that we want to change and how can we change them? Mm -hmm. um, what are the conditions that are needed in order to facilitate that change? Um, and so that's really CBT. Wow, that's quite interesting. So because especially as you said, when it comes to the students, it shows the importance of how we talk to them, right? So, uh, you know, I think it brings us to your, your teaching award and we want to listen to you talking about your teachings. Okay, so you have, you know, almost all years of experience teaching. So do you remember what your first class was like or can you tell us about your teaching journey? Ah, my first class. I do. I remember it was at a branch in Borough Park in, in 2008, and I was still a graduate student. So I had gotten my master's, but I, I was still working on my dissertation, um, which was actually pretty exciting. And I, I walked into the classroom not really knowing what, what to expect, you know, and it was really interesting because back then, even the, um, the technology has changed, you know. So for instance, now I automatically, I, I, the first thing I'll do after I introduce myself is to, you know, set up my PowerPoint slides, but back then I didn't yeah. do that, you know? 
so I came in with notes, you know, and it was developmental psychology. Uh, that was my first course I ever taught. And it was just, I kind of fell in love with it right away. You know, it was just so exciting to, to, to bring the concepts that I'd been learning this all this time in, in my undergrad and my, in my, in, in my graduate work um, to the classroom. And, and so many of the students were so interested in sort of extending the material that I automatically, I, I knew what my style of teaching would be like, which, be, which would be that the notes or the slides would be the guide, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it would be the structure of the class, but, it, it, but I, I was, I've always been very careful about finding ways of extending the material in a way that can generate classroom discussion and to really make it meaningful to the students. So the students can sort of impose their own meaning onto the, onto the material. Wow. Uh, so, and now that you have come a long way from there, from that first class in 2008 to 2020, uh, what is your teaching philosophy or how has your teaching philosophy evolved? So one of the things that I, I you know, it's interesting. So at the beginning of, of my teaching career, I was more comfortable with the theoretical constructs behind the concepts that I was teaching. Because at that point, I, I didn't have as much uh, clinical, meaning professional and personal life experience yet, right? And so I was more comfortable um, sort of discussing um, the, the theory behind, behind whatever material that, that, that I was you know, discussing, because you could sort of prepare that, you know, mm -hmm. and you could even over prepare that. I mean, you mm -hmm. just a matter of reading, you know, and it's a matter of like looking things up. And even back then, I mean, it was very right. different than it is now. Right. Um, and so what I found, though, was that over the years and as I've accumulated clinical and, and, and life experience, you know, as a mother, for instance, you know, my quality, and I haven't necessarily taught developmental psychology in a while, but the way that I would teach developmental psychology today would be largely impacted by the fact that I have children, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I've, what I've been able to do over the years, and I think it's really impacted and improved the quality of the instruction, is to be able to infuse the theoretical concepts that we're discussing with applied psychology concepts right because right. psychology is an applied con you know psychology is an applied mm -hmm. it can be it can be an applied field um and so and so that's that's pretty much what i do so for instance like i mentioned let's say learning theory that's a theory mm -hmm. you know but applying that to behavior modification of getting you know let's say having um you know a child let's just say um toilet training a child right or helping somebody struggling with substance abuse, reduce substance abuse behaviors, you know? That's where the, the, the students are most interested in, right? And so I've become a lot more comfortable being able to do that in a fluid way, where the theory is there and now let's, let's, let's present our, you know, let's present ideas to the class and have them present them to us, right? Of how we could elevate that theory. Mm -hmm. Right. Very interesting. So one of the things we all have been doing in the class is that, you know, in addition to the lectures, we always do a lot of other learning activities in the class. Mm. 
So what is one of your most favorite teaching activity and why? In the classroom itself, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, that I do um, is specifically, I would say within my um, positive psychology class, every class has its own activity that we do sort of to bring home the point. So if we're covering, let's say mindfulness, let's say, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I love mindfulness because I use that in my clinical practice, right? Mm -hmm. but, but mindfulness is a huge part of positive psychology because you have to stay grounded in the moment, right? And so um, let's say in order to teach the observe and describe and participate skill, right? which are skills and mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's mindfulness, you know, um, what skills, like what are we doing, right? I've had them, let's say, do the hokey pokey. Mm -hmm. And we all get up and we do the hokey pokey. And these are students that are like, wait, wow, what are we doing? You know, like, <laughs> and we gotta do it. You can't do it with your eyes closed. You just have to throw yourself into it. We turn on the music and we do it, you know? Uh. And I find a pretty long version of it, you know? So we can't get mm -hmm. out of it after two minutes, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and so afterwards, you know, we're able to sort of pull back the ingredients of that experience, which is, you know, did you find yourself judging yourself, let go of the judgment, throw yourself into the activity, you know, that sort of thing, you know. Um, I've done gratitude journals, and I've also had one thing that's interesting is that, you know, at the beginning of positive psychology, I have them write out a list of strengths that they believe they have, and then I have them ask someone who, who is very close to them that they trust for this person to give them feedback about what this person considers students' strengths to be. And mm. so the experience of putting their strengths out there and then seeing if it matches up to other people's views or expectations of them, you know, adds something to the idea of gratitude as well and awareness, you know. So positive psychology is one of my favorite courses because it presents you with multiple opportunities to be able to grow the concepts, you know, and, and whether it's, it's, it's all about psychological well-being. So whether it's, it's conscious acts of kindness, so the students have to keep um, sort of a journal of and commit to sending a, a positive text or email to someone for two weeks. Um, so it's that piece, so, you know, or it's keeping the gratitude journal or it's having a savoring expedition or doing what I call a media fast where mm -hmm. they have to, you know, imagine what that sounds like, but they have to sort of eliminate, um, all exposure to advertisements, you know, and then they realize how impactful advertisements are on our daily life because the minute you try to not look at them, they show up all over the place, right? They're on <laughs> You know, and so these are things, this is why my students love it, you know, they love it because, because instead of them writing a term paper, yep. this is what they do. So any tips to our listeners on how to improve their own positive psychology? Ah, well, I would say, you mean their own experiences, right? So psychological right, their own learning. experiences, yes. Yes. Well, I would say that you want to stock your day with things that will generate pleasant uh, feelings of not just pleasure, but, but, but positive feelings. Right. And so the idea is that, you know, so ahead of time being able to stock it with things that you will find meaningful also. So one of the things that we talk about in positive psychology, we spend a lot of time on is identifying your values. What are the things in life that give the main domains of life mm -hmm. value? So main domains of life could be family, it could be education, it could be 
spirituality. It could be, um, it could be um, home life, so to speak. It could be family of origin. It could be social. You know, it, it could be anything. Work. Okay. What are the things about work that add value to your life? And then framing it in terms of value-guided, in, you know, intentions and then actions. So, for instance, there are a lot of things in life that are not particularly pleasant that we all have to do. But if you frame those things in terms of how they bring us closer to our values, right, then that unpleasant task now has an added level of meaning to it, mm. right? And so anything from like, you know, I don't know, cleaning up breakfast dishes um, to taking out the garbage, right, becomes a value-guided action if a, if a, a, a clean home adds value to your life because it adds a sense of stability to your life, you know, or caring for your children, or, um, you know, you're studying, for instance, but maybe that could add to a sense of mastery, you know? And so you, every person has their own unique set of values. Part of what I do in addition to teaching is that I help students sort of flush out what it is they want to do ultimately when they graduate in terms of, you know, solidifying their career choices and pathways and, and one of the first questions I'll ask them is, well, what are your values? And then they, and they don't always know how to answer that. So then we, we, we have a discussion before the discussion about career paths, about what values are. But it's sort of like, you know, because if your value for me, for instance, as a mother, my value is flexibility. Like I need yeah. flexibility, right? And so flexibility, even above, I would say even, um, I would say even like security in a sense, because flexibility to me is security right and so i am searching for that option that will afford me that flexibility you know and so being able to frame things in those terms is even more positive actually than being goal driven you know right. in other words you know because values are never done you're never done with your values right mm -hmm. goals you cross it off the list in the refrigerator and you're done right, right? but values you know you keep going with that Wow, that's a very beautiful way to think about it. One of the questions sometimes that, that's asked is, well, okay, so we know what's going to make us feel good in the moment. I'll have some ice cream, you know, mm -hmm. I'll talk to a friend, you know, I'll watch something, I'll read something. But how do I promote long-term psychological well-being, right? And the answer to that is do things in service of your values. That's how you do it. So if you're wow. spending time with a friend, you're being socially productive. You're also, mm -hmm. your value is connection you're connecting with another person and it's a reciprocal connection. So it's a meaningful connection. Uh, so Perilla, so now that you received the Toro President's Award for Excellence in Teaching, it's a great honor, but it also brings a big responsibility. How do you think this is going to influence your teaching? Well, um, so I think what you were saying about responsibility is that it sort of gives you or me rather the um sort of the responsibility of living up to that award mm -hmm. um and the idea of, of of and it made me start wondering like what what is it about teaching or how i teach that was consistent with the awards criteria you know um and and so and and, and just to add to that Teaching on mm -hmm. Zoom as another element, a potential barrier, if you will, you know, of right. having to do it well, you know. And so, um, and I think that for me, 
I, I try use, you know, throwing back to the, uh, to the mindfulness idea of teaching mindfully, which is that, you know, what, what, what am I, what do I want to do? What am I, what would I like to accomplish in our time together? I start thinking about it, you know, and okay, certainly there's the material, you know, mm -hmm. but more than the material is that I, I want my students to learn certain metacognitive skills, such as critical thinking, you know, which is the reason why experimental psychology is one of my favorite subjects to teach. Um, so critical thinking, for instance, and I, I, I would like for them to be able to um, not just gain knowledge, but to be able to synthesize the knowledge that they gained with knowledge elsewhere. And I, I also would like for them to be able to um, walk out of the classroom having learned something that they're probably going to remember in five years from now, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, that's part of what I think about is that, you know, it, the successful lecture is not one in which somebody could repeat back to you everything that you've said, I think. It's more of, and this is something that you can't quantify. So, you know, so much for the evidence-based, uh, mm -hmm. data-driven, you know, options that are out there. But, but the idea is that it's more of like, uh, you know, something that will jive with them that will assimilate into another thought and that, mm -hmm. um, and that it will make, it'll, Im it'll impact them at some point or another, whether it's in when they're making a decision or when they see something um, that, that is novel and they realize it's not really so novel. You know, I love it for instance, when former students, well, meaning current students that have taken me previously are able mm -hmm. to sort of demonstrate, right, um, the connecting material in one course to a course previously taught, you know, and, and that's, it's very validating to me because it's like, oh yeah, okay, not only did you remember it, but you were able to, you know, it's sort of like a, you're synthesizing material, you know, that's very, that's very gratifying for me to see that, you know, um, and so that's part of how I, how I um, think about things, because quite honestly, you know, anybody can Google something today, you know, like, mm -hmm. we're not just about providing knowledge anymore. Correct. So true. You know, so that's part of it. It's like, it's very different. When I was in school, you know, we all sat there with our notebooks, including the professors, and we took down all the information and that was that, you know, and now I feel like you have to do, you have to be flexible yep. and be able to, to just sort of think off the cuff, you know? Right. You know, it's so true, the being adapting to the new environments. The students are very different today. And the way you rightly said, you can search for anything in Google. So it is not just about imparting knowledge anymore. It's about creating that connection with them, you know, or yeah. creating that experience for them, what they, what they can get from us. So uh, you have been, you know, teaching for the 12 years and over the years, um, you have learned a lot. Um, and so what will be your take home message for any uh, faculty who's listening to this podcast? You know, uh, whether it is a new faculty or an experienced faculty, it doesn't matter. So what will be your take home message for them? If you can, you mm -hmm. should teach what you love to teach. You know, okay. that, that's, that's really what it is. If you can do it, you know, I see the difference between uh, teaching material that I, I'm asked to teach versus that I've asked to teach. Um, and I mean, it helps if you like to teach a lot of different things, but teach what you, not just what you know, but what you love, uh, because your enthusiasm is going to come through and there's a certain type of contagion 
um, with that, you know? And so generally, again, if we do something that we like, we do it well. If we do it mm -hmm. well, we get good feedback. If we get good feedback, we do it better. Part of teaching is also connecting. So you're, you're doing it through academic material, but, it's, but you can't neglect the relational aspect of it because, because that's, it's kind of like as a clinician. I mean, the, 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 I believe that sort of like with, as a clinician and as a, and as a professor, there needs to be that genuineness. There needs mm -hmm. to be that interest in people. I want to be interested in what you have to say as a student. I want to hear what you have right. to say. Tell me how you got there. You know, just like um, in, 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 um, in a clinical sense, mm -hmm. we want to understand the world as the client sees it so that we can accept them um, before we try and change them. Teach what you love, be genuine and be empathetic and have a positive regard for students. That is the key message from Dr. Postein. Uh, so, Perla, you are a very busy person, right? You have the teaching responsibilities, you, run, you have a private care practice, you have project supervisions, uh, and you have a very young family. Any advice to our listeners about work-life balance? So, <laughs> I, I would just say, you know, is that balance changes, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. things sort of change. So you have to kind of be mindful of, you know, what your personal limits are because different people have different limits, you know? And I would say that if you are, if you have higher expectations, meaning between the work and the life expectations, right? And mm -hmm. women, I would like to say women probably struggle more with that. Yeah. This is my experience, anecdotal, but I, I would say that, you know? Yes. Um, so we have a harder time. You know, I always say there's no such thing as paternal guilt. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I would say that then if you have higher expectations, and in other words, if, you're, if your environment is so demanding, you need to increase your resources as much as you possibly can. Right. Because stress is when there's a discrepancy between your resources and your expectations. So either modify your expectations or increase those resources either one hmm. very interesting well thank you so much dr Postman, for talking to us today um, about your teaching tips your research especially on the cognitive behavioral therapy how it is important you know to develop your core beliefs talking about values uh, how to have the values that doesn't change will help you to uh, have a more uh, sanity in your life. Uh, yes. Thank you for talking to us about all these things. You're so welcome. Uh, well, hope you enjoyed today's episode with the Faculty Chronicles. Tune in next time to hear more special stories. Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.